welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to Episode 14 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. This is Dan Gingas, along with my partner in crime, Dan Moriarty. How are you doing today, Dan? Doing very well, mate. How are you? I'm doing great. I am very, very excited about this particular episode. For those that don't know, early on in August, Twitter announced via a blog post that they had released a customer service on Twitter playbook, which was a 126-page guide available for free that lists the best practices for customer service on the very popular social media platform. And we have the guy responsible today from Twitter, Jeff Lesser, who is the senior product marketing manager at Twitter. And he's responsible for leading the marketing of this customer service initiative at Twitter. And Jeff, we're so excited to have you today. How are you doing? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. It's absolutely our pleasure. I mean, the podcast is about social customer service. And so to have Someone from Twitter on is absolutely fabulous, and we have a million questions for you, so we better jump in, otherwise we're going to be here for way too long. But why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you landed this job, which sounds to me like an absolute dream job. Sure, yeah, it's definitely a dream job. I get to help brands do better customer service on our platform and ultimately help users get better customer service on Twitter, which is truly a joy. I guess I landed the job because we have a long history at Twitter of our users telling us where to improve the platform. The retweet, the hashtag, the at username was all created by our users and then productized by Twitter. And what we found was that many of our users were requesting customer service over Twitter to brands, and we knew that we could do something to make that experience better. So we've since you know productized it with some data that we're making available to our ecosystem solution providers. And we have a whole bunch more stuff that we're looking forward to doing to help with that use case. And really excited about the opportunity to make Twitter the best place in the world to both do and receive customer service. Might already be the best place in the world, so maybe make it better. <laughs> I was going to ask about the impetus for publishing the customer service playbook, but it sounds like you said it was just it was from users. I'm curious, though, was it users writing to Twitter saying that they wanted brands to get better at this, or was it just you guys kind of watching the natural consumer behavior and seeing more and more expectation from users? Yeah, we were actually hearing it from a lot of different places, not really from the users telling us, like, hey, I do customer service on Twitter and I wish there were better, but brands who were saying, hey, I offer customer service on Twitter and I wish that I could do this or I wish that I could do that. We also found that, like, a bunch of ecosystem solutions used our, you know, public endpoints to create their solutions. And they were coming to us saying, hey, can you offer us this? Can you give us that? We want to help brands do this better. So we basically looked at the data as well as that feedback and noticed that users were requesting customer service on our platform at an alarmingly increasing rate. And so we were like, hey, as this use case increases and becomes more important to users, it's something that we should be supporting and helping them get a better experience in doing that. So when it came time to publish the playbook, we talked to hundreds of brands and realized that they're actually suffering from most of the same challenges and that we could create a playbook that would help them overcome those challenges. The growth of customer conversations towards brands on Twitter is increasing at an alarming rate. Over the last two years, we've seen the growth of that conversation increase two and a half fold 
So when we look at the other types of conversations that are happening on Twitter, this was definitely one of the faster growing types of conversations that we wanted to make sure that we could support and improve. And just for the analytical geek in me, when you say two and a half times increase, was that as a percentage of total conversations on Twitter or was a like straight volume um, comparing those time periods? Yeah, so the way to think of it is two years ago, there was a certain number of conversations and now it's two and a half times larger than that number that it was two years ago. Awesome. So we're not going to go through the entire playbook, of course, but I do encourage all of our listeners to do that because I thought it was incredibly well done. But we are going to pull out a couple of pieces and try to get Jeff's feedback and maybe a little bit of elaboration. So in the playbook, they talk about three stages of customer service on Twitter. The first is the direct mention issue resolution, which is kind of what it sounds. When people tweet at brands, the expectation is that brands respond back. The second, uh, which is a little more difficult to do, is what they called broad issue resolution, where the brand is also responding to tweets that are mentioning the brand or the product, perhaps without the at mention or without the handle. And then the third and by far the most difficult was proactive engagement, where a brand tries to surprise and delight by actually entering in conversations that may or may not have even been intended for them. And Jeff, I thought this was a really interesting way of separating the different types of service that brands can engage in. I'm just wondering if you, from your research and experience, if you have any idea for where most brands are on this spectrum of these three different stages. Yeah, you know, I don't have any hard numbers to to back this up, but I've probably looked at every brand that's on customer service on our platform from, you know, the biggest companies in the world to like the candy shop that's down the street and how they might respond to someone. And so what I found is that they go through these sort of stages and it's not necessarily always the case that they go through stage one, stage two, stage three, but oftentimes that is the case. And stage one is that like direct mention issue resolution, or as some people like to call it like reactive service. And most people who are doing any form of customer service on the platform are at least doing that. So the way that I'll say it is, If you're doing customer service on Twitter, you are 100% doing that. Not everyone is doing customer service on Twitter, and so not everyone is doing that. But essentially, everyone that does customer service on Twitter is at least doing that reactive customer service. And then there's like that broad issue resolution, which gets into some other types of care issues. And it also encompasses what's known in the industry as preemptive issue resolution. And so what that means is that like, you're going to tweet out when there's an issue broadly to your followers so that they know that there's a service outage in that area or something like that. So that broad issue resolution where they're not mentioning your handle, where they're not mentioning you specifically in any way, or you're doing that preemptive issue resolution, much less people are doing that. And I would probably say about 20% of the companies who do customer service on the platform are doing that. And that's just anecdotally from my experience. And then when you get into that third section, which is like the proactive engagement, the proactive customer service, where you create a moment of delight for someone, very few companies are doing that. You could probably keep it under 100 that are doing that proactive engagement. And I think that there's a really huge opportunity in doing that proactive engagement to transform the way that customer service happens on Twitter. We like to think of it as creating this moment of delight and redefining customer service where you can engage with someone and create that moment of delight when they're not your customer and they're not in a moment of need, you know, they don't need service. So reaching out to someone when they are tweeting about some event or 
something that they're interested in that makes sense for your business to really transform how you use those people that are sitting there looking at Twitter and engaging with people every day. So Jeff, one of the major benefits that the playbook talked about was operational savings. And I think that was a really interesting one because, you know, the eternal debate about social media in general has been whether an ROI is calculatable. And in the playbook, it says that Twitter customer service can save up to 80% per interaction compared to phone calls. And I'm wondering how you got to this number because it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, so this number is actually one that's sort of been around and published for, I think, a couple of years now. I think it was in 2013 that McKinsey put together a study that looked at social customer service versus phone centers. And essentially, they found that a tweet resolution or an, an issue resolution on Twitter was $1 as compared to an issue resolution in the phone center was $6. And I think that there's a number of things that go into that cost equation, such as like the cost to staff up a call center and the software and the call center and the cost of the 1-800 number. Whereas on Twitter, like the software, generally not nowhere near the price of the software in the call center. The staff, generally one person on Twitter can handle 12 issues simultaneously, as opposed to someone in the call center can only handle one issue at a time and a number of other factors. But McKinsey was the one who actually put that statistic together and found that it was, you know, one sixth the cost to resolve an issue on Twitter as compared to the call center. Okay, so I'm going to push on the figure, and and it's okay if you refer me to McKinsey, but I think one of the things that that might be missing is the ability to scale in social. And so certainly what we've seen is that that could be true. That number certainly is attainable, but you've got to have the quantity there to do it because otherwise you've got agents that are sitting around you know, waiting for the next tweet to come in the door, which a lot of small businesses, that's a real issue. And so, you know, we've definitely talked with brands where those agents get cross-trained on other things so that they can keep busy and all that sort of stuff. But I think that's probably one of the the key issues. And I'm just wondering if maybe that number, my guess is, is that it's probably a large brand that's actually scaled social service. Yeah, I think it's possible that that number comes from a large brand that's already scaled up to that point. But what I think that number really highlights is the ability for brands to point their customers to reach out to them on Twitter and make Twitter their primary channel for customer service so that they can recognize those operational savings. You know, if you can shift someone from that $6 phone call to that $1 tweet, why not make that your primary source, your primary ask for them to reach out to you on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's the holy grail if you've got customers that you know are in the social space you know, getting them off the phone into Twitter is would deliver results like that. I, I definitely agree. I want to go back for a second because we were talking also about this proactive engagement piece, which is really interesting. And I think that one of the issues that brands may have is that you made a shift now from answering a customer service inquiry that may be a phone replacement, as we were talking about, to now basically creating a service engagement that didn't exist otherwise. So that's good because you create fantastic engagement with your customer and you improve loyalty or consideration if it's a prospect, but it's bad because it adds cost. So how do you reconcile that? I think that even though it might add a cost and it might take the agent's time and effort to reach out and create that moment, unlike the phone or on email where if you create a great experience, that that great experience just goes into a black hole. 
on Twitter, when you reach out and you create that great experience, thousands of people can see that. And so even though there might be a cost associated with creating that moment, there's a huge benefit. And part of what we have done with what we released back in August is to give solution providers metrics around impressions and engagement so that you can see when you created that really powerful moment, what did you get out of it? Did you get, you know, I've seen instances where a customer service, a tweet where someone was praising a company about their customer service was seen 36,000 times. So you can take that metric, 36,000 impressions over to your marketing department and say, hey, how much was that worth? How much was that engagement that I created worth in terms of what you would pay to get the same amount of impressions? And Jeff, is that real impressions or is that potential impressions we're talking about? That's real impressions. So oftentimes in solutions in the ecosystem, there'll be some estimated metrics that are calculated by like the followers of the followers. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'll be called like potential reach or something like that. And I think that there's good value in metrics like that. But we knew that we had the ability to bring to market metrics that were much more accurate and much more actionable when the brand decides to use that to change what they do. So our metrics that we gave to the ecosystem solution providers are actual impression and engagement metrics. Very cool. And one of the, the slightly more controversial topics that occasionally comes up on this call, and I use controversial in air quotes over here, is the decision of one Twitter handle versus two Twitter handles, so a, a marketing versus, say, a service or care-focused handle. You touch a bit on the play, in the playbook on the pros and cons. I was wondering if you could just maybe tell us a little bit more about your thoughts there and what you recommend. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that since we wrote the playbook, which actually wasn't that long ago, we've talked to brands even more. We've started analyzing the data even more. And what we found is that it's probably better to have separated handles. So you'll have one dedicated handle for your marketing and for brands to sort of follow and engage with when it comes to deals and other stuff. And then another handle that is just dedicated to the customer service aspect. And I think that it raises a difficulty when you do do that. And I like I think that there are pros and cons to both. But the difficulty in having two separate handles is that oftentimes the user doesn't understand which handle to reach out to. They'll reach out to your main brand marketing handle. And you just need to have the right setup within your tools and within your organization to then respond to them from your support handle and give them the service that they need from the appropriate handle and hopefully in the process educate them of the right handle to reach out to next time. And Jeff, you said something interesting there, which was looking at the data. It kind of skewed you towards having these two handles. Can you share what data you were seeing that, that informed that decision? Unfortunately, I can't share that data. It's not of a level of statistical validity that we're ready to like put it out into the world. Gotcha, okay. And Jeff, one of the probably more alarming statistics that you raised in the playbook was that about 40% of tweets to service accounts still get no response. Why do you think that is? Why aren't brands responding on Twitter? I think that there could be a number of reasons that brands aren't responding. And we haven't really dug into the data here, so it's, again, sort of what I've seen from my experience. But one reason that you know brands, even with a dedicated service handle, won't respond is that they don't think that the question warrants a response. It might be someone who's complaining about something. It might be someone who's using their their username in their tweet. But the brand just doesn't believe that it warrants a response. And I think I would disagree. If yeah. someone tweets at you, always respond. Yeah, you know, I agree. 
there's only good things that can come from that, especially because, like I said, Twitter is this public network. Like yeah. showing that you're there, the help, even if it's not necessarily a request for help, is always much better than not being there and having someone say, hey, why didn't they respond? They're not going to help me if I need any help, right? You want to put your best foot forward as a brand. So I think that the brands that are in this 40% that are not responding, that are not responding because of that reason, should obviously be reaching out. I think the other reason might be that oftentimes these companies are understaffed when it comes to their customer service on Twitter. And they will get to, you know, 60% of their questions, but they're just under a mountain of tweets that they're not appropriately staffed to respond to. And so they just don't get to that last 40%. Yeah, I do agree completely that for me, brands should be responding. I think every single brand out there today positions themselves as consumer centric and customer focused. And it kind of makes a mockery of it when you see a bunch of tweets just going unanswered to even if you know there's not an obvious reason to, to need to respond. So you also touch in the playbook on response time and kind of setting the expectation that, you know, an hour now, which was, you know, historically set as the goal that consumers were expecting. You've said that an hour is now, and I think we're quoting from this, the outer limit, and that many brands have actually now set goals closer to 15 minutes. just wanted to kind of hear from you. Why do you think response time is so important? Do you have any kind of customer research around that? Yeah, I think that response time is super important. It's actually one of the more important things in terms of brand or in terms of user satisfaction and their likeliness to recommend your brand after their interaction. But I think it's super important because Twitter has this real-time nature to it, the expectation of that news breaks on Twitter in the moment. People respond to each other on Twitter as it's happening. And so when you don't respond in a timely manner, it sort of breaks that user's expectation of, of why Twitter is so valuable and why they should be going there for their service in the first place. You know, anyone that's ever spent 40 minutes on hold knows, like, the frustration and the anger that comes from it. And Twitter probably has some benefit in that it's asynchronous. Like when they tweet at you, they're not sitting there giving up the rest of their life waiting for their response like they are on the phone. But they still have this expectation that it'll happen in a timely manner. And I think that that's why that one hour is that outer limit. But you're seeing brands setting the expectation that happens much faster, right? Like 15 minutes, you know, the more I talk to brands, the more that like 15 minutes is their like that's as slow as we ever want to be is 15 minutes. We want to be way faster than that. And you said something else that I'm I'm going to jump on. In the industry, I mean, you talked about the likelihood to recommend is significantly higher with a faster response. Is that just kind of an an opinion, which I completely agree with? Or do you have any data internally that you can or can't share that, that supports that? We definitely have some data that supports that. I can't remember it off the top of my head, unfortunately. But we did a user survey that talked about friendliness and personalization and how those types of things impact the satisfaction and the likeliness to recommend. And we also quantified it for response time. I just can't remember it right now. Okay. I might follow up with you on that one. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then from an overarching, but kind of more from a macro perspective, I guess, and, and I assume the answer is going to be yes. Given that the consumer expectations seem to have got you know, quicker and shorter, are you seeing the majority of brands responding to that? So obviously, let's take the 40% out that aren't responding. For those that are active, you know, for brands, let's say Dan and I work for, that are responding, are you seeing overall average response times from brands come down? I don't think that we've measured the overall response time from brands. But I think in my communication with them, in my research that I've done just interviewing them, all of them are saying that being faster at response time is one of their primary goals. 
So I think generally the industry is moving towards a faster response time. And, you know, when Twitter, like, I think a lot of brands, because Twitter is 140 characters or less, you can respond really quickly. That doesn't mean that you have to resolve the issue in that, like, 5, 10, 15 minute time frame. It just means that you need to reach out and start the engagement in that time frame. Sometimes users take hours to respond back, but it's on their time. It's up to them how quickly they want to resolve their issue. You should just be there ready to respond to them as quickly as possible. I think that's a great point, Jeff, and maybe a point that brands sometimes miss, which is that when we're talking about response time, we're talking about the brand's ability to get back to the customer to at least say, I've got your question and I'm working on it, even if they can't get to the actual resolution. And I do think that goes a long way when you get a tweet back that says, hey, let me look into this for you. I'll get back to you. So I want to jump to another area of the playbook or areas, I would say. Two words that came up a lot, and I did do a, uh, a search for these words, were authenticity and empathy. And I think those are great words, and we talk about them a lot here on the podcast. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us how these play a role in Twitter customer service and whether you think that authenticity and empathy are unique to this particular channel or maybe just a best practice for customer service generally. I think that being authentic and being empathetic is a best practice for customer service more generally. But when it comes to Twitter, it's definitely a channel that's text-based, and can oftentimes feel robotic or, you know, oftentimes brands will use templates and people will see that they got the same response that a thousand other people just got. And so being authentic, being personal and human, being empathetic over a channel like Twitter, I think is especially important. You don't want the user walking away feeling like they were just interacting with a robot. And that's really hard in 140 characters. And it's definitely something that, you know, brands need to come up with a strategy for and work towards improving that. But their best practices overall and especially important on a text-based channel like Twitter. And I will say that your playbook gave a lot of great examples in there, especially on authenticity, about using the customer's name in the response, not just their handle, trying to use an agent's name to sign off. Although, again, interesting because we talk to a lot of brands too. There are some brands that really love doing that and some brands that are vehemently against that, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, for those listening, the playbook does have some fantastic examples of uh, authenticity and empathy if it is something that you're trying to achieve better on. Yeah. And one thing that the playbook probably didn't cover enough, but we feel very strongly about is creating things that are really relevant to the person that you're talking to. So looking in their previous tweets, looking in their profile, a lot of the data that we gave to our solution providers in our partnership that we announced along with the playbook was this access to the full archive of historical tweets so that they could go back into a user's tweets and find out like those things that the user is interested in and either tailor the tweet to be really relevant to that user or even use that to create those moments of delight that are like really impactful because they know that that's what that user is interested in. So we definitely believe that there is an opportunity to like know more about who you're interacting with on Twitter than in other channels and a distinct advantage to create really relevant and personalized moments. And Jeff, one of the more potentially aggressive parts of the playbook was the bit about brands responding to comments directed at competitors. You know, for me, and and I know Dan kind of agreed, or Dan actually probably in a regulated industry, it's even harder. There's an upside here, but there's also a downside. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your views on that. 
Yeah, I think that there's like a very tactful way to go about it. And I've seen brands, no, not going to mention any names or calling one out, but I've seen brands kind of do it not so tactfully. I have a really great example of Volvo, who recently reached out when a person was saying, hey, I'm thinking about a Volvo, but I'm also thinking about this other car brand. What should I do? And as Volvo, they were able to reach out and offer a test drive to the person. And the person said that they couldn't make it to the dealership. So the Volvo handle said, no problem, we'll bring the test drive to you. And they created this really awesome experience that ended up with the person driving the Volvo. But if you're not monitoring you know, how people are talking about you and your competitors, you might miss out on opportunities like that. And I think that there is definitely an opportunity, even when they're not mentioning your brand and only a competitor, to do it. You just have to remember to be tactful and remember to solve the problem that the user has. It's not about making a sale. It's about solving that customer's problem. Very well said. So, Jeff, you've mentioned a couple times the tools and platforms that are available in the marketplace. And your playbook was pretty direct about this, saying, buyer beware, some tools claim to be optimized for service on Twitter, but are really just poorly adapted software that actually hinders your ability to scale. And I don't need you to name names, but I'm just wondering if you can share with our audience, because tools and platforms tend to be a question that are you know asked about quite a lot. What features should brands be looking for in a good servicing tool? It's a great question. And I think that it boils down to probably like four key functionality that any tool should be offering. The first is like, can they help you get all of the tweets that you need? And if a tool is not helping you find every tweet that you need, whether it's someone not mentioning your brand, someone just mentioning your brand or your product without using your handle, or those like, you know, opportunities to create moments of delight and helping you surface the right ones, it might not be the right tool for you. So definitely getting the tweets, the primary need that, that you have in selecting a tool. The next thing that the tool should help you do is like triage and prioritize those tweets. So you might have a whole bunch of agents. You don't want them stepping on each other's toes and four people responding to the same tweet. You don't want to respond to this tweet over here that's not really relevant and leave that behind or leave a more important tweet behind in favor of that one that didn't that wouldn't be as important. So triaging and prioritizing and helping with that sort of like user assignment or that agent assignment is really important in a tool as well. The next thing is like you want it to not only give you the ability to respond, but the ability to give you to respond easily and respond thoroughly and respond well. So a lot of tools incorporate like templates or giving you more information about that user so you can textualize and personalize the tweet for that person. But being able to respond to the tweet and respond well is definitely something you should be looking for in a tool. And then the last thing is measurement. And lots of tools offer lots of different metrics. And you just got to find the right metric that you care about in your organization and then find the tool that enables you to, to measure that. Awesome. And it's funny because Dan and I talk a lot about some of the different elements that make up a successful social customer care service. And the tool is absolutely one of them. And another that we talk about a lot, which you guys touched on in the playbook, is staffing and making sure you get the right people on the back end of, of social customer care handles. Your playbook had a great description for how your Twitter agent should be, which was passionate about solving customer issues, strong writers, empathetic, Twitter savvy, and culturally aware. I think that's an absolutely great description. I was wondering if you could, how did you, you talk a bit about, little bit about how you came up with it? And could you elaborate a little bit on who you think the best people are for that role? Yeah, I think we came up with that as an aggregation of what we'd heard in all of our interviews with all of the brands that were doing it really well. 
you know, we would ask them, how do you hire? How do you write your job descriptions? What's important to you when you look for who to, you know, bring on to your team? And those were the types of words that they were giving out to us. So credit goes to all the brands that we interviewed in the playbook. That description is fully, you know, crowdsourced from them. But I think that the right way to find those agents, and we talked about this a lot with the brands, there's probably two really good ways to find the agents. One is find the person that is the best in your call center and then teach them how to use Twitter and teach them the nuances of responding in 140 characters as opposed to on the phone. But those people are probably already really good at solving customers' problems. They're probably already good at being empathetic. So they might need some help on being a strong writer and being Twitter savvy. But then there's that other half of it, right, where you might have some digital native who is really Twitter savvy and really culturally aware and a great writer, but they're not necessarily empathetic or passionate about solving customers' issues. Those are a little bit harder. It's harder to teach someone to be passionate about solving a customer issue than it is to teach someone to be a better writer. So we oftentimes found that people would bring up those call center agents, the best call center agents to be their Twitter agents, but some would go the other way. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I just want to elaborate for a second on that last piece, which you guys refer to as culturally aware. And just to clarify for the audience, I don't think that you meant being aware of different cultures, for example, around the world. It was more about being aware of hashtags that are out there because we've seen some brands use hashtags inadvertently and and have really bad results and just kind of know what else is going on in the world and in social media and taking that into consideration when responding, which frankly a phone representative doesn't have to do because it's a one-on-one engagement and it isn't out in public. But I do think that that was a terrific description. And if we had taken the people that we've spoken with and, and kind of put together their ideal job description, I think we would have come up with almost that exact description. So I think that's fantastic. So we want to shift for a minute. And, uh, you know, we talked a bit before about how some brands are fearful of negative comments. And those of us that do this every day understand that people are going to talk about your brand whether you're engaged or not. So you might as well be part of the conversation. But you guys went a step further, which I thought was really interesting, and said that Twitter can be an early warning system. And this reminds me of something that our good friend Jay Bear has said a few times, that your haters, as he calls them, can be the canary in the coal mine. They can be the ones that identify problems with your core service or or product and that that's really, really critical. So I'm assuming that's kind of what you meant, but can you elaborate a little bit on it? Yeah, definitely. I think for better or for worse, Twitter is a place that people go to vent. I generally think that's for the better. But what that means is that people are going to go to Twitter and talk about things about your brand that they're not going to fill out on some feedback form at your restaurant, or they're not going to like send in an email to you. You know, Twitter gives them the opportunity to very quickly just express their feelings And that offers the brand a really unique perspective if they're out there listening and monitoring this to be able to understand there might be this serious issue that we've never heard from anywhere else because people won't take the time or won't make the effort to to give us that feedback. But on Twitter, you know, they just kind of throw it out into the ether. And so as a brand, it gives you a really awesome opportunity to take that comment that's just venting and thrown out into the ether and actually respond and say, hey, we heard your complaint. We're going to work on this. We're going to make this better. And I think that it can be that early warning system where you can find those things that are happening, those problems that are happening, 
you know, if it's a real time problem that's happening, you can find it out in the moment before anyone's ever called you or before anyone has even reached out to you. I think one of the really amazing things about Twitter that I recently heard is that because of the speed of with which earthquakes travel, people will tweet and then people will read the tweet about an earthquake before the earthquake ever hits them. So they'll be reading a tweet about an earthquake and then feel the shake. And so imagine how that could you know, be for your brand. There's an earthquake. It happens first on Twitter. You hear about it on Twitter and then you really like you get that problem that, that's happening with your brand. So Twitter is that early warning system, not just in earthquakes, but for your brand. And we don't normally do this, but I've got to tell this story just because it's super relevant to that. So in my job, and for those that don't know, I work for Hyatt. We once had a situation where a car accidentally spun off the road and crashed through the front windows of a hotel. And thankfully, no one was hurt, but there was a car in the lobby with smash glass and all of that stuff. Some guests inside the hotel, obviously, first reaction, take a picture, put it on Twitter. Our customer service team saw it, called the hotel general manager and said, hey, just want to give you a heads up. There's a car in your lobby. The general manager, of course, there's not. You know, what, what are you guys talking about? And he walks down to the lobby. And sure enough, there's a car sitting in the lobby. And the, his, his staff hadn't had time to call him because they were busy dealing with everyone that was going on there. And so that was a really nice example of being able to learn something that happened inside a, a business that we obviously we're responsible for through Twitter rather than finding it out through the traditional channels as you would expect. Yeah, another example of this, not to go too far down this path, but another example of this is there's a big beverage manufacturer and they put out a can for the holidays that was very light in color. And it turned out that this can that was very light in color was very similar to like the diet flavor of what they did of their product. And so people were tweeting at them saying, hey, I've got this can that tastes really funny. You know, it tastes terrible. And they were able to actually like pull the cans off the shelves and redo the packaging and make it right so that people weren't getting like their normal product confused with this, you know, other diet version of their product. That's awesome. Great examples, both of you. Thank you for sharing those. We are talking with Jeff Lesser, who is the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Twitter, and he is responsible for marketing the customer service initiative at Twitter, which has included a 126-page free guide called the Customer Service on Twitter Playbook. Jeff is, of course, on Twitter at Jeff Lesser, and we want to remind the audience that we are always looking for great brands to be on the podcast, and we ask that you use our hashtag FOCS for Focus on Customer Service. And let us know if you've engaged with a brand on Twitter and had a really good experience because we want to talk to that brand, bring them on a future show. So with that, I'm going to hand it to Dan for our final question for Jeff. And Jeff, this is the big one. This is the one we always ask every guest. Knowing that a lot of people that listen to this are you know, doing this job with their brands or looking to do social customer care with their brands, we always like to end by asking if you had you know, some pieces of advice for companies to become world-class in social customer service, what would you say? Read the playbook. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the answer. Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> it's been good having you. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like I think the playbook's a really great resource. We wrote it intending for everyone from the person that's just getting started to the person that's doing it the best to be able to read it and pull out something of value to them. We also didn't intend for people to read it cover to cover. So wherever you are in your journey, like go to the table of contents, find what you're struggling with today and go to that page and read up on that. And then in a month from now, when you've solved that problem and you've got that next thing that you're struggling with, I bet it's in the playbook. We were pretty thorough. 
go to that table of contents again, look it up, and get some advice on how to solve that problem. So I think the playbook's a great place to start. I think the other really important thing is to like be aware of what your peers are doing. Listen to this podcast. They have tons of great examples of what really great companies are doing. Go on Twitter and see what the best companies are doing. One company I like a lot, Spotify, they do really amazing customer care. They create really delightful moments for their users. They have this customer service philosophy called positive active, where no matter how negative anyone is, they're always going to stay positive and they're always going to stay active and try and reach a resolution for that customer. So check out Spotify, you know, check out the best. The great thing about Twitter is it's all public. So you can see when they're creating really great moments and you can see what they're doing right and you can see what they're doing wrong. And that's not possible with, you know, phone customer service or email customer service. So the powerful thing about Twitter is it's it's all there for you to figure out yourself and and to find what the challenges are and, and how to overcome them. Great advice from Jeff Lesser of Twitter. And I know I promised Jeff that this was the last question, but I have one more just because I was thinking about it while you were talking. Tell us what's next for customer service at Twitter. Since you're in charge of marketing the initiative, what comes after the playbook? Yeah, we want to make Twitter the best place to do customer service, whether you're a user or whether you're a brand. And we think it's already there, but we want to make it even better. We know that our users and our brands are are facing challenges that we can help them solve to create this really magical experience of users and brands connecting on Twitter. So unfortunately, we're a company and I can't talk about product roadmaps, but I can tell you that we are really dedicated to solving this problem and we have a bunch of stuff that we're working on. Well, Jeff, I'm sure if you need some brands to test it with, Dan and I would both be willing participants. So let us know. I've got your emails. I'll definitely reach out. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. Well, listen, with that, we're going to wrap up. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I know this, is, this has gone on a little bit longer than we expected, but I think it was really, really great conversation. And you know, Dan and I were just so excited to see the playbook and, and even to see Twitter start to put a little bit of focus on this as well. So thank you for joining us, Dan. Great to talk to you as always. And everyone who's listening, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me, guys, and keep up the great work on your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.